good morning. This is a great weekend to be from South Carolina. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that. Hey, we're glad you guys are here. I want to welcome those of you joining us right now from an off-site campus or maybe on the internet or uh, in the chapel or warehouse. Hey, we're glad that you're along also. Hey, let me ask you a question, okay? All right, I want you to, I want you to look at your life. And up till now, and some of you, that's a long time. Some of you are 12 years old. It hasn't been that far. But up till now, what would you say has produced the most growth in you? What challenges you to grow? Okay? Grow as a person, grow as a leader, grow as a parent, grow spiritually, whatever it is. What up till now, what would you say has produced the most growth in you? I asked myself that question. What is it? And I was kind of surprised as I sat down and thought about it, about what I really came up with. Three things. I mean, you know, everything's three with me, but that just helps me to remember. But three things that I really felt like helped me to grow surprising things. One were my exposure to difficult people. <laughs> I didn't like that one. In fact, I'm a lot more comfortable with normal people like me. <laughs> but you know what? Difficult people, people who are maybe a little bit socially awkward or obnoxious or even people who don't understand their own boundaries, they have helped me probably to grow more than my friends who are, you know, easier to kind of get along with. Now, let me just ask you this. How many of you would say, I have at least one difficult person in my life right now? Just raise your hand. Okay, at the campuses, raise your hand. Don't point. Don't point. Okay. okay. And the second one for me, the second one for me was surprising circumstances. So I just kind of categorize it. Surprising circumstances. Um, some of them have to do with loss, painful loss, um, loss of a job. I got fired the first three times that I, my first three jobs in ministry, I got fired. I've talked about that before. For some of you, that's a real problem. You probably ought to go now, okay? Uh, and the last time I got fired, and it was about 30 years ago, uh, was one of the most growth-enhancing things that I've ever experienced. It wasn't pleasant at the time, but it caused growth in me. When I lost loved ones, um, my, my best friend in life died when we were both 25 years old in a car wreck. And it caused me to analyze some stuff, look at th some things in my own life. How's my life going to count? How's it going to matter? Just a lot of stuff. So there was a growth, okay? Um, the third thing that encourages growth in me um, probably has been... Um, I don't want to call them impossible. You know, let's just start there. Uh, challenging, uh, big challenges, almost impossible challenges. Things I had to grow into. You understand what I'm saying? Things that were like, whoa, this was like maybe a promotion, maybe a project. In the, in the church, there's been a whole lot of different things. But in those three kind of circumstances, I probably have experienced more growth than anything else in my life. And, and then I ask... Why do those things tend to encourage growth? Now, it's not an automatic. 
I mean, you can have difficult people in your life and not grow. How many of you know that? You can have challenging circumstances in your life and not grow that. It's a surprising thing. Okay, it's not automatic, but when it works and when it happens, why? Why does it produce growth? Let me tell you what, what I came to with yours truly is those types of things remind me of my need for God. Okay? When I'm in over my head, that, that's when I go, help. <laughs> help, God. I, I, I need you. In fact, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, it's not on your outline sheet, but Jesus is teaching, He's preaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount, the, you know, the most famous sermon that He ever preached. And He starts with the Beatitudes. And here's the first one. He says, God blesses those who realize their need for Him. For the kingdom of heaven is given to them. I want you to think about that just for a minute. God blesses those who realize, who realize their need for Him because the kingdom of heaven invades their life. The kingdom of heaven is given to them. And I don't know if your experience is like this, but my experience is that realization comes in a moment. Change takes time, but realization comes in a moment. They're aha moments. Have you had aha moments? It's like, oh man, you just realize. I, I, I just realized something. It says when you realize in an aha moment your need for God, then the kingdom of God invades your life. You enter into kingdom living in a fresh new way. Now those moments in, in time, many people call them kairos moments. The Greek word kairos, let me, let me explain that. Uh, time itself, the Greek word for time is chronos. Say chronos. Chronos. C-H-R-O-N-O-S. From which we get what word? Chronology, chronological, it's, you know, day after day after day, it's, it's measured time. But when time stops, the, Greek call, the Greeks called it kairos, kairos moments. It's those moments that, that you tend to remember. It's like everything else keeps going, but there is an awareness of something going on. And in those moments is when oftentimes we realize, I'm over my head. How do I handle this situation? I really don't like this guy and we're going to be sitting next to each other for five hours. Kronos. Kairos. Kairos moments. Time stands still and God invades our life. We're in a series from Philemon. And um, we started last week, and we're going to do eight weeks on 25 verses. How are we going to do that? Hang on. It's going to be fun. Let me review last week. And I want to... The the key character in the book of Philemon, a guy named Philemon, who is a wealthy uh, Christian businessman who actually is a slave owner, and he has a big house, and there is a church in his house, gets a letter from the Apostle Paul. And he has a kairos moment, I think. That moment comes when he gets a knock on his door, and there's a guy standing there, and he recognizes him right away. Because this guy 
is an employee of his, actually a slave, that ran away. And when he ran away, he stole just a bunch of stuff from uh, Philemon. Okay, I want you to put yourself in his place. Knock on the door. Here's a guy that's ripped you off. What's your first emotion? Hey, come on in, man. We're just having dinner here. You got your favorite stuff. And look around. Maybe you want to steal something else. You know, let's just go. No, I, th- I, think, I think it's anger. I think it's, oh my, oh, what do you, call the police. Right now, call the police. This guy's here. The guy says, hang on, hey, I, I got a note, got a letter. Have you heard of the Apostle Paul? It got, got a letter from him. So he opens up the letter. And Paul says, hey, Onesimus is delivering this. Onesimus, the guy that ripped you off that wasn't any pro- of any profit to you at all in the past, well, he's become a brother now. He's a believer. I personally discipled him. And there came a point in the discipleship process, I thought it was time for him to go back and make things right. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive his debt. In fact, I'll pay for anything that... Um, you know, that he's stolen from you, but you just remember you owe me your life, okay, before you put that IOU together. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to treat him not just as a slave, but as a brother now. The relationship's going to be totally different. Give him a hug. I put the last part in, okay, the give him a hug part. I think it was a Kairos moment. It was like, Here's a difficult relationship, and God is invading my life in this moment. What do I do with it? We'll talk about what he did with it, but he was confronted with a growth opportunity. Here's what I know about Kairos moments. Number one, we all have them. We all have them. Oh, gosh, we could sit here and list, list uh, when they come, tons of them. Let me just give you three or four. When your kid comes home from school with a note and her teacher, or from a note, with a note from her teacher... And it's not notifying you that, that you're receiving the student of the month bumper sticker. Okay? That's a Kairos moment. Oh, I didn't realize that was going on. What, what's happening here? What am I going to do? Okay? Kairos moment. When somebody cuts you off in traffic and your blood flashes hot. I was in Atlanta recently and uh, Atlanta has interesting traffic and... Uh, we were trying to merge, and a guy cut me off, and I reacted like Jesus would. God bless you. I love you. If you're in a hurry, if you're in a hurry, keep going. But the but a, another guy didn't react like that. And I'm looking at and the guy that cut me off and the guy in the other lane, they look like just normal people. One of them was probably a Christ follower, maybe both of them. They were very nice, well-to-do, Atlanta-looking people. Until fingers started going and there's just... Boom. And it was, it was as close as I've seen to a NASCAR pileup on a major highway. Seriously, I mean, seriously, it was terrible. Guy, one guy missed the other guy by this much and that was on about the third... Blood boils, and you, 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 normally you're calm, and boom, here it is, Kairos moment. Where did that come from? When you suddenly realize, I can't fix this, Kairos moment. When you come across a sentence in a book that stops you cold, have you done that? Maybe you're reading your Bible or you're reading another book, and there's a sentence that's like, oh my God, aha moment. Okay, you realize something. 
when you get a scathing review at work. All of the, there's just so many of them. We all have them. It's easy to miss them. Because most of them are not accompanied by bright lights and falling off of stuff like Paul the Apostle's Kairos moment. Do you remember he is? Acts chapter 9, he's going the wrong way. He's persecuting Christians. And he's just doing his deal. And he's on his way to Damascus. And there comes a bright light. And God knocks him off his donkey. Did you know God does that every once in a while? He'll knock you off your donkey. And he knocks him off his donkey. And he hears a voice from heaven. Hey, pretty easy to recognize a Kairos moment. Would you agree with that? Okay, God is invading my world. I get you there. Most of ours aren't like that. Every once in a while we'll have, you know, something similar. But most of them are just the everyday routine. You're just, life's happening, and then there's an aha moment that stops you for a minute. It's a realization. Third thing is that they provide opportunities for growth. Anytime the kingdom of God invades your world, breaks into your circumstances, there is a purpose. They provide opportunities for growth. What is the purpose? It's to make you more like Jesus. Now, how does that happen? Jesus gives us a clue in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. Jesus is just stopping, starting his ministry, and here's how he announces He says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is invading your world. The kingdom of God is coming in when you least expected it. They didn't expect it. It's coming in. It's near. So what should you do when the kingdom of God invades your world? He says do two things. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. What does repent mean? The Greek word for repent is metanoia, which means just to change your heart or to change your mind. Repentance just simply means that I have a mind change. I change my mind about something. Have you know that's usually a process. Now for some of you it's not. You can change your mind like you change socks. You know, boom, boom, boom. But for most of us, changing your mind is a process. What happens? What makes you change your mind about something? An aha moment. An event happens. And you process it. What, what was that about? Oh boy. Wow. I think I better change. For, for instance, for instance uh, let's say that you're one who thought um, a, a Big Mac meal was health food, okay? And so you're just cramming, you're two-fisting them, you're cramming them down all this, and you have an aha moment. The aha moment is your heart stops working. (laughs) They put the defibrillators on you, boom, get you going. Doctor looks inside, puts a stent, or maybe even worse. You finally wake up, doctor comes in, shows you a picture of clogged arteries. You say, how did that happen? It's your health food. Really? But he sees you're not quite convinced. And so the doctor begins to tell you how your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend is going to spend your insurance money after you die. (laughs) And you go, oh, wow, I better change my mind. And so you change your mind. Okay? That's repentance. Change your mind. It's a process. Then he says to believe. Believe is also a process. The word that it comes from means a faith that leads to active obedience. You know, I know a lot of people that believe things, but they don't do them. Do you know anybody like that? Is there anybody in your house like that? Is there anybody in your body like that? (laughs) You believe things, but you don't do them. Well, 
Repentance is changing your mind, and then believe is to believe enough to put into practice. Okay, that's what that means. Literally means that you put it into practice. And that's a process. And I'm going to talk to you about that today. I have a friend that um, illustrates how we grow kind of like this. Kairos moments help us to grow. Okay, here it is. Um, this is kind of like a, um, a lot of people's kind of vision of, you know, the Christian life, how you grow, whatever. Um, there's a starting point, salvation. Okay? And there's an ending point, heaven. We just kind of have a linear type of a growth. But that's not how we grow. Our growth is dynamic. Here's how we grow. Here's how we grow. You're just kind of trucking along, and all of a sudden there's a Kairos moment. There's a realization moment. There's an aha moment. Can be something good, can be something really disastrous. Aha moment. How, how do you handle that? Some people just blow right through them. Just blow right through them. Guess what I know about that? You're destined to repeat them over and over and over again because you just blow right through them. Some people get stuck there. It's all they talk about. You, you hear it in a conversation. It's all they talk about. You know, oh man, the economy's terrible. This is what it did to me. And then some people move backwards because they get bitter. Yeah, that's their whole. And, and people, they wonder why, why. Why didn't people talk to me anymore? Why? Because the circles that you see all over you are. Uh, Evidence of 10-foot poles that people, you know, they, they, they don't want to get close to you because they don't want to listen. It's always the same thing over and over and over. Because you have not grown through your Kairos moment. Or you can go, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to enter into, I'm going to, I'm going to allow God, this realization that I need God in this thing, to bring me into, to bring the kingdom of God to bear in my life. And I'm going to go through a growth process here. And see what God wants to teach me in this moment. So I want to talk about that. What do you do with Kairos moments? Um, I'm going to illustrate it. I don't want to be too mechanical. And it's not like step one, two, three. Although I'm going to give you a one, two, three. But kind of two meshes into one sometimes. And three does too. This is just so we can kind of understand it a little bit. Take your circle and divide it in half. This half of the circle is going to represent repent. And this half is going to represent believe. Jesus said repent and believe. Now, how do you repent? Uh, divide that one in half again and give you a repent as kind of a, a two-part deal. First thing you do is you observe. You observe. You observe. Have you know that if you don't know where you are, you will never make progress to where you're going? You agree with that? You don't even know what I just said. Okay, let me say it this way. <laughs> let me say it this way. Um, a while ago, I was, I was traveling, went somewhere, speaking somewhere, and, and I flew into an air, airport, and they, they rented me a car there, and so I was going to pick up a car and go to wherever I needed to go. So what I do is I always have a GPS in the car, and I programmed where I wanted to go into a GPS. That's really cool. You do that, and then some foul lady speaks at you all the time, recalculating when you go the wrong way, whatever, but it ultimately gets you there, okay? So anyway, so I, I plug it in, and I'm in a parking garage, and I drive around to the exit, I get out of the parking garage, now I'm faced with a, a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn, and this lady's not saying anything. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, why aren't you saying something? And finally she says something. Cannot locate the satellites. 
cannot locate the satellites. Because it was in the parking garage, you have to have a straight kind of line to the satellites. And so here was the deal. She knew where I was going, but she didn't know where I was, so we couldn't make progress toward where I was going. Now, does that make sense? So if you don't know where you are, you will never make progress to where you need to go. Where you need to go is this. I can tell you that real quickly, real easily. What is God's will for you? It's to become like Jesus. Okay? That's it. To become like Jesus. That's the destination. Where are you? I don't know. I don't know. Kairos moments are the satellite coordinates to where we are. Romans 8.28 says this. You know what Romans 8.28 says. A lot of you quote it all the time. I know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, right? Okay, let's look at it in context with Romans 8.29 also. It says, and we know that God causes, say God causes, God causes everything. Now what is everything? You know what the Greek for everything is? All. (laughs) Everything. Okay, I thought that was funny. Not so much. Everything. So what is everything? Everything is difficult people that I run into that say horrible things about me, that say horrible things about other people, that invade my space, that have no concept of boundaries. Anybody have a father-in-law like that? Okay. They, they have no, no concept of boundaries. They have no... Guess what? God causes difficult people unexpected circumstances. Stuff happens. Wow. God causes unexpected circumstances. Challenging problems. I'm in over my head. Don't know what to do. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Who's that? That's me. That's you. God causes everything to work together for good. Now, in in what way? How does it work? For God knew His people in advance. Man, that is so comforting to me. God knew His people in advance. God is omniscient. Did you know that there was never a day that God woke up and said, gee, I never saw that one coming. I'm sorry. We'd have, we'd have done a better job on that whole deal. No, God's omniscient. He knows everything. He knew that who would choose Him. He knew who would say yes to Him. That's comforting because that means that God's never surprised. He's at work on the solution before I even know that there's a problem. Okay? He causes everything to work together. How? He knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son. That's the goal. He wants you to be like Jesus. Why? So that His Son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. Ought to be a family resemblance. He wants you and I to be like Jesus. Life works better when we're like Jesus. There's no jealousy. There's there's no uh, unnecessary anger. There's no bitterness. You don't find that in Jesus anywhere. Life works. Jesus is the epitome of, of how God desired for life to work. He wants you to be like Jesus. So what he does is he takes everything, difficult circumstances, challenging problems, unexpected, uh, uh, difficult people, unexpected circumstances, and he, and he causes them to work together so that you'll become more like 
Jesus. Kairos moments tell us where we are in the process of becoming like Jesus. Example, I, I bumped into a difficult person recently. I don't see them very often. They don't even live here. But they're difficult. I mean, and every time I bump into this person, it's like, Ugh. Arrogant, you know, rude, just all kind of stuff. And so I bumped into him and, had, you know, yeah, yada, yada. And I walk away and it's like, I don't like them. Why did I have to do that? <laughs> and then about two days later, I was reading my Bible study in the morning. And it was Luke 6, 37. That was just one of the scriptures out of like 50 or 70. And it, it was a aha moment. It jumped out at me. Stop judging others, and you will not be judged. Stop criticizing others, or it will all come back on you. And guess what? It wasn't talking about that arrogant person. It was talking about this arrogant person. It was like God Almighty was saying, Here it is. I want you to be like Jesus, and here's where you are. Not very close right now. So it was an opportunity to grow. Gave me the, you are here, GPS coordinates. So you observe, what's going on? How did I react? What are my emotions? What are my thoughts? When you have a Kairos moment. Secondly, the second part of repentance is that you reflect. You reflect. What do you reflect on? What I observed. Why did I react the way that I did? Why do I feel the way I do right now? Why do I feel hopeless right now? Why do I feel like, man, there's no future? Why do I feel, what's going to happen? Why do I feel this? Why did the thing that happened to me stir up such strong emotions? What is God saying to me here? Reflect, what is God saying? What do I need to change my mind about? See, honestly though, if there's going to be lasting change, you've got to invite others into the process. You really do. It just can't happen in a vacuum. James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Part of the confession process, or the healing process, you confess, this is what I'm feeling, this is what's going on. Invite other people into the process. But you know, the higher up on the food chain you are, the harder repentance gets. It really does. When you're the boss, when you're the father, when you're the pastor, when you're the small group leader, it's just hard because, why? Because pride gets in the way. People expect you to have it together in this area or that area. Or you're so used to fixing other people. You know, you're the one that people come to and say, how, you know, I got a pride, how can... And, and, and you can be blind to these kairos moments that God brings into your life to take you to another level. I had one just yesterday. I was getting ready to come to church yesterday afternoon, Saturday, you know? And... Um, Saturdays are kind of, you know, it's tense. It's the first message and there's all kind of stuff going on and South Carolina's playing and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'm running just a little bit behind. And I go into my, I go to change clothes. I go in my closet and I pull off my, the t-shirt I was wearing yesterday and my glasses get caught in the t-shirt and the lens pops out. And I'm already 15 minutes later than I need to be coming to church. And so I'm down here trying to find the lens and the little tiny screw that's in it, trying to find, I could, never could find that. Now I'm hunting frantically for a pair of backup glasses, you know. And my wife 
calls up, yells up, in a nice way she yells, and she goes, hey, Jenny's getting ready to leave with the twins. Would you mind going into the bedroom up there where they had their nap and getting their pacifiers? She left their pacifiers up there. And I hollered back, no! <laughs> I did. No! I'm getting ready to preach! I'm thinking, i got to tell people about Jesus, and you want me to go, and my glasses are broke? And you want me to go get a pacifier? Go get the pacifier yourself. That's what I'm thinking. And she says, would you mind doing it? I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I walked through it. We've got this. You can look up, and you can see the kind of, you know, it's oh, the... Living room's open and you walk across the deal upstairs. I walked across the deal upstairs. I found those pacifiers and I threw them down there. She needs to know I'm God's man and I'm behind right now. There could be ten to twelve thousand people this weekend. So I'm driving out of here last night after the message. Praise God. Such a wonderful time of worship. We're going to a restaurant. And, and, I, and I thought about what I did. And I said to my wife, how's, how's Jenny? I, you know, I, well, she's a little taken back by some of the things you said. I'm like, what do I do? So I had to call her. Jan, how you doing? You know, it's bad. Everything okay? Yeah. I'm sorry for being a jerk. Okay, I really am. Would you forgive me? And I'm going to try not to do it next time. That was such a hard struggle because it's hard. But you know what? Here's the deal. Philemon is approached in a public way. Knock on the door. There may have been a church in his house there. He's, he's got these feelings, probably anger, probably wow. And how does he deal with them? And he's confused maybe by the letter. Because it just, you know, Paul's had months, maybe years to process this. And here it is to him right here. And it's a total social change with him. But you know what? If he did, Guess who's watching the church in his house? They want to know how he deals with it. You want, to, you want the, your, your people to be... Honest, open, and authentic, they're watching you on how that happens. They're watching him because the leader defines the culture. If you don't like the culture where you're at, it's, you can impact the culture at least in the 10 square feet around where you walk. Leader defines culture. And, uh, and, and so the church's house is watching. You say, well, I don't have a church in my house. Really? How many of you have kids? You have a church in your house? How many of you have roommates? Okay, five of us have roommates. Okay? Let me broaden it just a little bit. How many of you have friends? Okay? How many of you have friends that know that you're a Christ follower? You have a church in your house. How many of you have a small group? I mean, that's obvious. There's a church in your house. And they're watching to see how you process Kairos moments. Okay? Third thing you do. That's kind of the repentance process you reflect on what do i need to change my mind about and th then you move in to believe um let me um 
let me let me talk about believe uh, in a, a couple of ways. Um, we'll divide it. I put the word act. Okay, you begin to act. We're going to divide act into three things basically. The first thing you do is make a plan. Make a plan. Okay, how am I going to handle this from here on out? How am I going to clean up what just happened? How am I going to handle what I did? You move into the belief part. See, just because you go through a Kairos moment doesn't mean you learn anything. James 2 and verse 14 says, Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying that you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? What kind of faith? That kind of faith can't save anyone. It isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and useless. If you stop right here in this process, it won't do you any good. You just repeat it over and over and over again. You've got to have a plan. I'm going to act out my faith. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? You act as if things are different. The belief process uh, uh, has three parts, as I said before. You make a plan. Uh, wh- what am I going to do? Uh, get, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, let's say that you got a bad review at work. That was your aha moment, your Kairos moment. You, maybe it's a 360-degree review. Those are of the devil. But it, it maybe just a review. And the review says that the people who serve with you don't feel valued by you. How do you respond? I value them. You know, I mean, you're always defensive at first. But let's say that you go through this process, okay, that's what they're saying. Let's reflect on that. All right, I'll own up to it. There's more than one person saying it. So what do I do to make that different? How do I become more like Jesus in that area? Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me a plan. And so maybe your plan is real practical. Maybe your plan is, you know, you're going to give out five attaboys, you know, or attagirls during... You're, you're going to, five specific comments, or maybe you're going to walk slowly through the office, you know, at least twice a day. But you've got a plan. You're going to do something about it. Or maybe the, maybe this is like uh, your credit card debt has grown to crisis proportions. So what do you do? You observe. Okay, this is a problem. You reflect, why, why am I here? And maybe God reveals to you during your reflection time as you're asking How does the kingdom come in this area of my life? Maybe God reveals there's an emptiness. There's a void inside of you that you fill up with shopping. You know, it's just what you do. Or maybe you fill it with eating. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe you fill it with something else, but there's a void. And so what you got to do is you got to go, this is a problem. I'm going to change my mind on this. This isn't going anywhere. I'm going to get a plan. And so next time I feel this or next time this happens, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something differently. So you make a plan. Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Second thing you do is you become accountable. You become accountable. I, I'm just about of the opinion that you're not going to make any change until you become accountable for it. How many of you have wanted to do something, had good intentions, and never followed through? Anybody? At the campuses, Somerville, lots of you, okay? <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. How do you, how do you follow through? You become accountable. Accountability is simply this. Here's all it is. Accountability is saying, you know what? I believe this is what the Lord wants me to do. It's my plan based on this. I believe this is what the Lord wants me to do. Will you help me with that just by asking me if I'm doing it? Hold me accountable. I'd love to see you guys doing that in your small groups. Saying, this is what God is saying to me. I believe God is saying this to me. Would you just kind of hold me accountable 
to that, just to what I believe to be the will of God. Okay, So you become accountable. And then the third thing you do is act in faith. You act in faith. You launch out. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4. It says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Any testimonies on that right now? Yeah. You act in faith. There's a lot more I could say about it. Let's kind of close it right there. What about you? What are you doing with your Kairos moments? We, we said earlier, we all have them, aha moments. We go, I need God's help. What are you doing with them? Are you ignoring them? Just kind of blowing on through? Do you get stuck but really don't do anything with it? Or maybe you're sliding backwards? Or are you entering into a process of saying, Holy Spirit, come fill me with your spirit. Help me to observe. Help me to reflect. I want to be more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who fills our lives. I thank you for your plan, God. I thank you for choosing us. I feel really secure in that. Now, God, I just ask that you would guide us in these next few moments of really responding to you, reflecting on what you're saying to us and processing these moments. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.